0: You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. Have you ever been to a party that started great? It started great. You get there, the music is awesome, the appetizer is delicious, and you build your hopes up and you go like, man, this is going to be amazing, and then comes the radish salad. (laughs) And you go like, oh man, and uh, the main course is not as delectable, and then by the end you find yourself in the corner holding a plate of angel food cake, and they're playing Michael Bolton, (laughs) and you're like, what happened? What happened? How about a movie? It started great. The, the, the setup got you on the edge of your seats and you're watching it and you're thinking, man, this is going to be a wonderful movie. And then five minutes in, you're, ex- you're waiting for the next thing, and 10 minutes goes in and you are just lost. You have no idea what's going on. Um, we, we had a movie recently that started great, and uh, I'm not going to say what movie it is <clears throat> La La Land. And I know they got the Oscars for like 90 seconds, okay? But uh, by minute 15, Alina and I are like, you know what? Let's, let's watch an old good comedy and just shake this off. How about a book? Uh, the, the cover was great. The, the, the foreword was credible. The introduction seemed amazing. And the first chapter, man, it was so captivating. And then came the fluff. And it got wordy. And by chapter 5, you were just disappointed and bored. You were just bored. And the reality is that if this was a one-on-one conversation, some of you would raise your hand and say, "Uh, Wait right there, J.D., that's my life. That's how I feel about my life. It started great. And then at some point, hope began to slowly fade away. And now I'm in I'm in a season where I I don't really know why I'm here. I don't know what got me here. I was so hopeful. I was so full of hope when I looked at my future. And what that does is sometimes we get to a mentality of the best is in the past. Now, we all hear that life is full of ups and downs. And we love the ups. We want the ups. We don't like the downs. We despise the downs. We wanna stay in the ups. We want to invest our lives in the ups. In fact, we want a God that can keep us on the ups. We want a God that can keep us up, hold us up. And when life brings us down or when life is not as up as it used to be, we brag on how up life used to be before. And the reality is that when, we, when life brings us down, when we go through a season where life brings us down, the natural tendency is for us to hold on to every memory on our way down, hold on to every past glory, to every memory of how good life used to be, just so we can offset the disappointment and the sorrow of today. And the reality is that life will bring us down. But... To hold on to past glories, to balance what you're going through today, in a way is holding on to the past, is trying to go back. And if you've been there, if you've been in a season where life used to be up, and maybe it's not as up as it used to be, or maybe you're in it right now, you feel like the up of your life. Is behind you, you feel like the best days are behind you, and you're in a season where you're not sure even how to get out of. I have news for you God has saved the best for last, and that's the title of my message for you today. It doesn't matter what you've been through, it doesn't matter what you're going through right now. God has saved the best for last, He has newness of life for you. He sees sometimes we can live in an old glory mentality. We can live life in a, the best is in the past, and now I just got to buckle down and live each day at a time. But there's a passage in Haggai verses 2, uh, chapter 2, verses 9, where it says, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares The Lord. I want you to understand this that if you've been through something and maybe you're going through something right now, this is a promise of God for your life. There is a latter glory that God has promised for you. And it's not gonna be the same as the former, it's going to be better, greater. God is taking you up higher. That's his promise for you. He doesn't want you to be stuck in the past, he wants you to have this new glory. And with it, it comes a new sense of purpose. It comes a new sense of life, new joy, new love, new abilities. That's what God wants for us. He wants to take us to this new glory. There are new days of joy ahead. And I want to encourage you this morning to look for the new. To look for the new. There is a passage that I want to share this message from It's found in John chapter 2, and this is a rich, rich passage. But I want to read for you. Uh, Jesus is at a wedding. He's invited to a wedding, and something amazing happens at this wedding. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does, that, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. My mother, uh, his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. This is a rich, rich passage. There are so many layers. There's so much we can speak out of this passage, and we'll probably go back to this as a church many, many times. But I want to highlight one aspect of this passage to you here today that has to do with you. Sometimes in life, things might be going great. Things might be going as planned and you apply all of your energy and talents and abilities and you set up your life and it's a party. It's beautiful. And in an instant, the wine runs out. In an instant, joy runs out. In an instant, peace runs out. Vitality runs out. And what do you do? When that happens, what do you do? This is what happened to our friend Christopher Clifton. He's here this morning. Christopher grew up determined. And you've heard his story here. He's shared his, he, this here before. But he grew up determined to excel at every level. He grew up determined to succeed, to go past where the foreman generations had been. And so he did. He went to school. He excelled in his academic education. He got a job and excelled at his job. And years later, he found himself working for a great law firm, being a successful lawyer. He and his wife had a business that was doing well. Everything was doing was according to plan. He had achieved his plan. He was there. And then something happens. The firm was unfair to him. Not only that, they turned on him, and the pressure was so great that his marriage couldn't sustain it. It broke the relationship apart. Not only that, if that wasn't enough, Chris discovered that he he had a rare form of cancer in his body, and in a short period, he went from having achieved his dreams and his plans to being alone, jobless, And fighting a terminal disease. What happened? The wine ran out. And maybe you're here today and you've gone through situations where the wine ran out in your life. Maybe you're here today and you lost a job. A relationship ended. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe you're here today and a dream ended. A business went under. We go through seasons in life where... The wine runs out. Now, it's very important to know this. What do you do when the wine runs out? Because things will end in life. If there's one thing we know is that everything has a beginning and everything has an end. And we will go through seasons in life where things will end. And what do you do when things end? What do you do when the wine runs out? We learn from this scripture, and I want to share three things from this passage that you can do when the rind runs out. The first thing is this. you got to make sure that Jesus is at your party. In other words, you got to have an open heart for Jesus' life to be in your life. You have to have an open mind and an open heart for the way, the truth, and the life, for the life of God to be in you, for the Holy Spirit's voice in your life. The second thing we learn is that we need to do what Jesus tells us to do. Now, this is more of a posture than an action. This is a posture where you come to realize that Jesus cannot simply be another person in your life. He can't be just another guest in your party. He can't be just another subject matter that you know of. He can't be just another thing in your life. In fact, doing what he says is the realization that you will not go through another situation in life where Jesus can look at where you are and say, It's not my business. I had nothing to do with that. That was not my doing. I was not involved in that situation. Doing what he says is a posture of saying, Jesus, you are invited into every single part of my life. Not only that, you're not only a guest in my life. You are the Lord of my life. What should I do? Tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And then comes the third aspect that we learn from this scripture, which is tied to the second, but it's a matter of attitude. If you pay attention to what the... The servants did in response to Jesus' request. We can gloss over it and not realize what actually it took logically and logistically. This is the first century. And Jesus is at a party. Just think, think with, me, with me here. Put yourselves in the servants' shoes. Jesus is at a party. Now, Mary is involved in the party to a certain extent. Some people believe that she was related to the couple that was getting married because although she wasn't the host, she felt responsible for what was going on. So Jesus comes to Jesus, to, uh, Mary comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, the wine ran out. She feels responsible. And this was a huge, huge embarrassment for a couple to have the wine run out in their party. And she's trying to rescue this couple's reputation. And she asks Jesus to provide a solution. Now the servants are there, and she tells them, do whatever he tells them. And what does Jesus do? He looks at them and says, you see those jars that are used for the Jewish rites of purification? You see those jars where people wash their hands and they wash their feet in? You see those jars where people are supposed to wash off all the dirt from their body, I want you to fill up those jars with water. Now, another aspect of this. Plumbing, back in those days, was not what it's cracked up to be today. It's a little plumber's pun there. Plumbing, there was no plumbing. It was buckets and it was wells. That was it. And what Jesus was asking these servants was to Basically, fill 120 to 180 gallons of water in these jars. It made no sense. Jesus, the problem is wine. Do you realize what's going on? What's going on, Jesus? Come on, man. The wine ran out, and you're going to ask us to fill up these dirty jars with dirty water? It makes no sense. And the reality is that sometimes Jesus is going to put you in situations that it makes no sense. But what is your attitude when you are led by God towards situations that make not much sense when you start, when you engage in them? If you pay attention, the servants not only filled the jars, they filled them to the brim. It means that they were excellent. It means that they gave their best. It means that they, don't, they did not only listen for what Jesus' for Jesus's request and went like, all right, I guess I got to do this. They were like, yes, we will do it, and we will do our best. You know, many times it will make no sense. I remember when we moved to Houston, it was that move alone, it was completely out of the ordinary. Here I was. A guy who was a youth pastor at 18 years old. I had been leading worship for two years by then. And then we got married at 19. And when I was 21 years old, we had felt led to move to Houston. It made no sense. I was the assumed successor of my dad and his church. And I felt this call to pastor. I felt this call to minister. But God called us out of that into Houston. It made no sense. So we got to Houston. It was a big move. It was a big deal. I'm in Houston. I have no parents there, no siblings, no family. And in my town, I was known. In my town, it was my town. In this town, I have no reputation. Nobody knows me. And there's no nothing, no history. Alini was my best friend, my mom, my dad, my siblings. She was everybody. She got sick of me. And there we are. And I'm like, wow, Jesus, look at my sacrifice. I'm sure that now by what I did, you're going to give me this city, and we're going to take it over, and you're going to open the doors, and we're going to have opportunity after opportunity. And Jesus was like, yes, sir, go deliver some Chinese food for me, please. And after that, I was like, oh, maybe this was the test I got to go into. Yes, Lord, open the door. And then, sure. Sure. Here's a sales job for you. Go sell instruments at Guitar Center. Like, sure, let's do that. After that, I'm like, sure, this is the time. I'm in, I mean, I'm in my early 20s. I know everything. So, God, this is the moment. Because I'm starting to doubt myself. And he was like, here is an IT job for you. Like, what? It makes no sense. Why would I go from sells to IT consulting. It makes no sense. And then eventually I was hired at the largest congregation in America, not in the ministry, in the events department. It made no sense. It made no sense until we got to Stanford. Eventually we moved to the ministry and we ministered for a few years uh, with the young adults department. But When we came to Stanford, everything came together because my job as a salesperson taught me to start conversations with people I don't know and present something to them that they might need, but they don't know they need. And in my hometown, I didn't have the need to go meet new people. I knew everybody. But in Houston, at that sales job, I had to. I had to start conversations with strangers in order to pay rent. And that skill transferred here to Stanford to start this ministry. IT was so valuable because everything that you see online, podcasts, everything, we wouldn't be able to afford if we had to pay for this right here in Stanford. But because I spent so many years doing IT, I learned coding, I learned website, I learned, and everything came together. And working for the events department at the largest church in America is the kind of training that I wouldn't be able to get anywhere seeing how the facilities department works, what the policies are for vendors, and learning about security, and learning about how to coordinate 50 different ministries doing over 800 events a month in one building. And everybody thinks that their ministry is the most special one. <laughs> and you have to make sure that everyone is accommodated happily. It was a set a journey that now it all it's all beginning to unfold and beginning to be very useful but what if i had a bad attitude what if in my heart there was that seed of no god this is not what you call me to do i'm supposed to be a pastor not a salesman so i'm not going to take that job see it makes me think of david most of you know the story of david but david by some estimations he was anointed king at the age of 10 to 12 between 10 and 12 years old he was a boy and he was anointed king he was told by samuel that he would be the king of israel and then 5 to 6 years later he is still taking care of the sheep he is still running errands for his parents And his dad calls him in and he says, David, I need you to take some cheese over to your brothers and their captains because they're staying with the army over at the encampment. And I need you to take some cheese to them and some grains so they can have some food. What was David's attitude? What? I was anointed king. What are you thinking that I'm going to be your cheese errand boy? Come on, say your highness. Say, Your Highness, right now. No. <laughs> he, did, he didn't do that. What was his attitude? Yes. Scripture says in 1 Samuel 17:20 that David rose early in the morning and he went. He was eager to be excellent and to do his best. And if you know the story, you know it was that simple cheese errand. They propelled. They gave David David the opportunity to become the hero of the nation. It put him in front of Goliath, and that was the moment where he became the David that we know. It started with the cheese errand. Here's the challenge for you and I. A lot of us get prepared for the glory days. We want the glory days. We want the promise of God. We want the latter glory, but are you ready also to carry the cheese? Are you ready to run the errands as well? Because David was ready for both. He was ready for the cheese, and he was ready for Goliath. You and I need to be ready for both. That means this, that tomorrow morning... When you wake up to go to school, to go to your job, when you wake up to do whatever you do, run your business, you wake up with the best attitude that you can. You show up on time, well-dressed, good attitude. You say good morning to everybody. You bless them because you're not working unto men. You are working unto Almighty God. And He's the one who holds your promise. They hold you back from a promotion. It doesn't matter. God has you on the palm of His hand. He has your future in his hand. You didn't get what you wanted? It doesn't matter. You carry the cheese with excellence because when the opportunity comes, you will be ready to slay your giant. Listen, God has called you for the latter glory, but are you ready to do what you need to do now with excellence? Are you filling your waters, your jar, your jars with water to the brim? This is my challenge for you today. Now, the reality is this. We will all go to a point in life, get to a point where the wine will run out. This happens to all of us. The wine will run out. And the temptation is to try to go back. We feel alone, we feel despised, we feel like the opportunities are not as great as they used to be. And we want the old wine back. We want the old wine back. And you're wondering, why does Jesus have me carrying gallons of water? Why is he asking me to fill up jars of water, dirty water? Jesus is not taking you to a wine that you had before. He's taking you to a new wine. He's taking you to a new glory. And that's what happened to our friend Christopher. He's here today with a better job, a better relationship, and cancer-free. Because he... Yes, you can clap for that. Because the moment the wine ran out in his life, what did he do? He ran to Jesus. He said, Jesus, I need you. I need your grace. I need your love. I need your direction. I need you in my life, and I will do whatever you tell me to do. Jesus, I need you. The moment he said yes to Jesus, and he began to fill his jars with water, things began to turn. And the same is true for you. I want to light a fire under you this morning, that you may decide that you will not die Until you have experienced the latter glory. That you will not go another day despised, depressed, afflicted, sad, wishing you had your own old wine back. But you will look forward to the new wine. And you will do what God has called you to do with excellence, knowing that he will provide the wine. So here's a question for you this morning. Have you invited Jesus to your party? Is he part of your life? Is he present in your life? Some of you might say, no, Daddy, I can't. I can't have Jesus in my life right now because my party is a mess. I don't have wine to give him. In other words, my life is not organized. I'm not ready for God. I have to take care of some certain certain things before. I have to straighten my life out. Before I decide to have a relationship with God. No, 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 no. You have it backwards. Jesus wouldn't even take your wine if you gave it to him. Because he is the giver. He is the rewarder. And he wants to give you his wine. And you will discover this. His wine will not only satisfy you with a kind of joy that you have never experienced. A kind of peace that you have never had in your life. But his wine will never, ever Run out.